Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. And welcome into our fourth and final hour of our four-hour block of outdoor programming. Heard each and every Saturday morning. Glad to have you along on this uh, big Fourth of July weekend. Lots of activities going on. Weather been cooperative. A lot of people are out there fishing. However, some people are having problems with their fishing areas, and I'm talking about specifically east of the Mississippi River, the uh, water diversion through the Bonnie Carey Spillway from the Mississippi River, which was absolutely necessary, into Lake Pontchartrain into areas in the east is causing a lot of problems. Some of them are major problems affecting the economic uh, well-being of the fishing industry, members of the communities, particularly down in the St. Bernard, some of the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain itself, where a lot of guides operate in that area, displacing speckled trout. Uh, there's been closures of oyster areas with uh, mortality rates as high as 100% in some of those areas. Mississippi Gulf Coast beaches on a big 4th of July weekend have been shut down. The St. Tammany Parish Fishing Pier, out of caution, has been closed, as well as some North Shore beaches. And we've been trying to stay on top of it and making you aware of all of these advisories and warnings with regard to these algal blooms that have been taking place primarily in Lake Pontchartrain, probably taking the worst of it because it is the direct inflow of the Bonacari diversion into it. It gets there first, and then it moves to areas in the east. Uh, the latest from the Department of Health, they've issued an advisory to the public to avoid the algae. Uh, they say it can cause rashes, stomach cramps, nausea, diarrhea, and vomiting. If you're exposed, you should wash with soap and water. If you think it's making you sick, see your doctor. Uh, Louisiana Department of Health also says that algae toxins have not been found in the edible parts of fish, but that fish should not be harvested or eaten from Lake Pontchartrain during the bloom. A lot of people are continuing to fish as far as they're consuming them or catch and release. I don't know. I've been asked this question a lot, and I just give them the information that we get from the Department of Health, and then it's up to them. Uh, they're, they're big boys and girls, and they make their own decisions. Uh, there's also been some requests from both the state of Mississippi and the state of Louisiana for economic disaster aid, and that's primarily the reason why the Assistant Secretary, Patrick Banks, with Wildlife and Fisheries, joins us now. Uh, Patrick, thanks for taking time on a Saturday morning to talk with us about this very, very important issue. Uh, thank you, Don. I appreciate your time, and uh, thanks to all your listeners for tuning in. If you would, tell us where we stand on advisories. Did the information I just give, is that the latest? I know there's samplings that are taken every day. Is there anything else that has come to light more recently? No, you did a very good job of, of giving a, a thorough overview of the situation. And and uh, just like you did, we <clears throat> we encourage everybody to, to heed the warnings from the Department of Health. And the Department of Health, it's their job to try to protect public health and so uh, that's what we're doing as well we we put out a news release that uh, encouraged folks to follow the department of health advisories and uh and you went over those advisories uh really well well on july 3rd there was uh they issued a, a basically a map of the oyster areas that are closed which was 
uh, areas one, two, and three. Uh, has any of that been expanded into other areas? And, and, and what happens when an oyster area is closed? Is it actually illegal to remove oysters there or to sell them? And certainly no one should consume any oysters from those areas. Uh, you're exactly right on all those accounts. It's uh, the Department of Health closes those areas <clears throat> based on uh, threats to public health. And so uh, it is illegal to harvest oysters from those areas as well as uh, purchase and, and sell those oysters from those areas. Well, Patrick, with regard to the economic disaster, uh, Governor Edwards has uh, written a, a letter, as did Mississippi, requesting economic assistance. Where are we with that procedure right now? First of all, what does it take to get an economic disaster declared? We've seen it happen almost immediately with some of the farming issues up the Mississippi River Basin, but it's a different situation when you get to aquatics. It is a different situation. Um, the, the normal process uh, is simply the, um, the state uh, makes an application with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration for a fisheries disaster declaration, and that must be, must be supported by 12 months of data showing at least, at a minimum, 35% decline in uh, economic um, value of the fishery themselves. And so, unfortunately, we've got some time um, before we will be able to officially provide an application to NOAA. However, the governor made an important first step in advising the federal government that we had an issue in Louisiana. And basically, his heads up to them was that we were seeing extensive uh, impacts to our fisheries down here in Louisiana. And, uh, you know, we wanted them to be aware of that. And what it, what it did was uh, now we've been in contact with NOAA quite a bit, and they've been advising us on which uh, what data is important to collect and uh, what the process will be for us to request that, uh, officially request that fisheries disaster declaration. So that's the process we're in. The governor's letter was the first step. The second step is that the department, as we have been since March, is taking the necessary data to, um, to show the impacts on our fisheries. And then the third step will be to provide a report and an application to NOAA and then they will determine whether they agree with our request for disaster declaration. And then the final step would be Congress would appropriate money based on that uh, to help with the fisheries disaster recovery. And so we're quite a ways away from all of those, those stages, unfortunately, but, uh, because this flooding event is still occurring, as we all know. And so we're still in the process of gathering the necessary data. And... What is the best estimate on how long this is going to take before any assistance, whether it be in terms of low-interest loans or direct grant money or any other type of, of assistance to some of the people who are severely impacted economically, what is the best estimate on time frame when all of those steps would be in place and, and some of that starts to show up? Well, certainly let me, let me remind everybody that Congress can take action today if it wanted to. It could certainly appropriate disaster funding today if it wanted to, but that's typically not the, the, the way it happens. Typically, it waits for NOAA to receive an application and then make its determination as well, and then they, they follow that disaster declaration. And then, as, as I mentioned earlier, 
in order for us to officially apply for a fisheries disaster declaration, we have to show a 12-month um, decrease of at least 35% compared to the five-year average. And so we're in the middle of, of this flooding event, um, and so we've got quite a ways to go before we, we can show a 12-month decline in uh, economic value of our fisheries. Well, I have heard, and I'm sure you have too, from people in all aspects of the fishing industry, whether it be a commercial fisherman, a crab or shrimper, uh, fin fisherman, recreational fisherman, bait shop owners, that say this is of an immediate nature. We, we don't know if we can wait months for all of those procedures to happen and take place and Congress to finally start getting some assistance here. Um, what will it take for that to be done? What is there anything these individuals can do to express upon them that a lot of these people live paycheck to paycheck, and they could go under and possibly have to close their business, or, you know, for lack of a better term, go on welfare until this happens? Yeah, unfortunately, there's not a lot uh, that can be done other than to uh, to continue to press upon the federal government and, and Congress that that they need some assistance. And again. Congress can appropriate money anytime it wants to. Uh, it doesn't have to wait on us to pre prepare this report. It doesn't have to wait on NOAA to uh, make a declaration. But, again, that is the typical process. Um, back during Katrina, um, Congress appropriated, or after Katrina, Congress appropriated money before an official declaration of a fisheries disaster occurred. So it's not unprecedented for Congress to step out and do it. Uh, ahead of time, but but the typical process is to wait on the twelve month analysis and then and then NOAA to uh, to confirm that we do have a fisheries disaster. So, um, what I've encouraged folks to do is, you know, how can how can we help these communities? Uh, and that's to continue to go fishing, continue to go down to Saint Bernard and Plaquemines and uh, down to Grand Isle and everywhere and continue to take those trips with our, with our great charter guides, continue to go and eat in the restaurants. Uh, you know, that's the way we, we help support these communities as best we can. And is there any action on the individual's part that you could recommend? I mean, is the governor doing everything he can to express upon NOAA and the Congress that this is of an immediate nature? Should they contact their elected officials in Washington? Uh, they're looking for some direction and guidance outside of, you know, what you mentioned is, yeah, keep the business going for sure as much as you can. I would I would. I uh, recommend that they contact their their uh, congressman to impress upon them the need. Uh, the governor certainly is doing everything he can. I'm traveling to Washington uh, week after next for a series of meetings to, to at least provide the information that we have to date uh, to some of the congressional representatives ahead of time. Uh, we've been in constant contact with uh, our congressional delegation. We've been providing them with uh, impact analysis and impact information, and we have been for for several months now. So um, I think for the individual, if uh, if they contact their local uh, congressional representative and impress upon them the the immediate need, uh, that that may make a difference. Unfortunately, I don't I don't know, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna provide the information that we can to help support uh, that need. Um, I know that St. Bernard Parish has has taken some steps to advise everybody of the problems that they're having, and, and we we provided a lot of data to them to help support that. So uh, if you need information from us to help support a phone call to your congressman or a, 
an email, please get in touch with us. Uh, we'll be happy to provide that information. And a lot of it's on our website already. Very good. Patrick, what I'm going to do, we're going to take a break here. When I come back, uh, just give us some information on who might be, uh, who might qualify for assistance, and if they think they do, how would they find out, and how would they go about that? If that's your agency, which agency should you refer them to? We're talking with Patrick Banks. Calls and texts will take at 504-260-6368. If you got a text, uh, a comment, or a question, it's 870-870. comes right in here to the studio. We'll be right back after this timeout. And welcome back into more outdoors. Those of you regular listeners know on the Saturday morning following the Louisiana Department of Wildlife Fisheries Commission meeting, usually a lot of business on the agenda, and we probably pick out the important highlights, and we get special guests to come on with us and discuss that with you. If you're interested in joining the conversation, it's 504-260-6368, or you can text us at 870-870. This morning, uh, obviously, I believe everyone believes the most important issue is this problem that's taking place in the eastern part of our state the mississippi river had been high for actually it's been open twice only time this has ever happened in the same year in history uh record days have been there we've got more fresh water diverted into lake pontchartrain getting into other areas than ever before creating a lot of problems including some economic hardships for members of the fishing community and with that in mind, we have uh, Patrick Banks, who is Assistant Secretary of Wildlife and Fisheries, join us to talk more about it, about what the state and particularly the agency, <laughs> Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, is doing to address that. Uh, Patrick, if, if someone uh, feels like, and, and they're feeling the pinch, either they're not getting, you know, their catches are down if they're commercial fishermen, they're not launching boats if they're a marina, they don't have the bait to sell, or they're losing charter trips, they feel like they may qualify for economic existence in some way, shape, or form. Uh, What is their procedure for finding out first if they're qualified, and if they are, uh, you know, it was pretty uh, expressed in the media how to do this following Katrina to make claims. But on this, this may be a little different. Is that is your agency assist them with that, or is there a different agency? Well, unfortunately, there is no process quite yet because, number one, there is no official declaration of a disaster, and there has been no uh, money appropriated from Congress to assist with the disaster recovery. So uh, what I have been encouraging people to do, <clears throat> excuse me, is to uh, maintain your records. If, if your business is down, uh, maintain those records to show that uh, between uh, this year compared to your uh, previous years. And that's about all they can do at this point. Um, once uh, money is appropriated, disaster recovery funds are appropriated through Congress, it will depend on the way that the uh, legislation reads in terms of who would be um, who would be eligible. Uh, If you call after Katrina, the first round of monies that came in directed the state to rehabilitate the resource. It didn't say anything about rehabilitating the the fishermen or the docks or the processors. And so um, we set about rehabilitating the resource, but we we hired a lot of uh, fishermen to do that. Uh, However, the second round of Katrina money that came through the language of that appropriation uh, law directed the assistance to uh, the communities themselves. And so we were able to do some things directly for fishermen and for docks and processors and boat owners. So uh, it all depends on the way the uh, language reads when Congress appropriates the money as to who would be 
eligible and, and how they would be eligible. And certainly in years past, our agency has been cert- uh, heavily involved in the distribution of that. And so once that occurs, we will be getting the word out um, as, as best we can to make sure that, that folks know who is eligible. But but let, let me remind everybody that the governor's request was meant to include all fishing uh, <clears throat> sectors, all different parts of the fisheries, all different parts of the coast that will show impacts. And so uh, I heard you earlier mention um, the impact on the eastern part of the state, but but let's be clear, it's uh, we, we're seeing impacts throughout the coast. Barataria Bay, there's been a lot of impacts to the oyster resource there. We've seen uh, tremendously low catches of brown shrimp there because of the low salinity. The Vermilion Atchafalaya area has been uh, devastated in terms of just months and months of low, low salinity. We're seeing heavy impacts in oysters around Marsh Island. We're seeing large decreases in the commercial catches of black drum, which is an important uh, commercial fishery there in the Vermilion and Atchafalaya area. So We've got widespread impacts from this flood event, not just from the Bonacary area. Absolutely. Um, is for, in terms of uh, getting this money and, and putting it where it belongs, uh, you mentioned that during Katrina there was a lot of restoring the habitat in the fisheries themselves. Do you see this as a similar event? Uh, is there going to be things that are caused from this that can be done and funds used by the wildlife and fisheries? Or is this strictly going to be economic recovery, and it just takes Mother Nature to straighten out what the mess we've got? Well, that's a very good question as well. And I think from a habitat or a resource perspective, the, the most obvious thing that we can do to help recover is rebuild and reseed some of the oyster reefs that have been uh, heavily damaged. And, and in a lot of cases, as you mentioned earlier in your show, we've seen 100% mortality on some of these reefs. So I would imagine some of the recovery money could be put towards recovering uh, oyster reefs. But then outside of that, it's it's very difficult to recover, uh, for instance, shrimp uh, catches and and things for crabs and finfish. So in that case, I would agree with you that the most obvious way to, to help the situation would be direct economic recovery for the fishermen and the, the docks and the processors and things like that. Well, I would imagine that the research department or division would need some funding too because that's going to be required in order to get an accurate assessment of the damage and then what would be provided in terms of assistance. Well, I I think research is always a a helpful tool that we have, but I I will say in a situation like this, Don, we've had a lot of floods uh, in in the past. We've had a lot of uh, things like this. Now, this is certainly unprecedented in in the length and the volume um, the length of time and the volume of water that we've had to endure this year. So it's unprecedented. But in terms of flooding impacts, we we have seen a lot of this before. So I'm not so sure that, that a large amount of recovery money would need to be put into research uh, because, again, we've, we've sort of done this before. We did it um, uh, several times when the spillway has been open. Yeah, also BP and Katrina also. Uh, Patrick, I, I got a question in from a listener, and I don't know if you have any information on this, but just asking, is, is Senator John Kennedy involved, and if, is he doing anything? Have you had any contacts with him about this issue? Other, uh, not him personally, but other than uh, to provide his office with information 
the same way that, that we have with the other offices of our congressional delegation. I will say that uh, Senator Cassidy's office and Representative Graves' office have been uh, seem to be the most interested in, in this information. They, they contact me regularly for updates, but, but we have provided information to uh, Senator Kennedy's office. All right. Any other th- final thoughts before we let you go here as far as this whole issue, something that you can uh, let the listeners know or the fishermen who may be affected, give them some uh, words of encouragement? Well, unfortunately, it, I don't have a lot of good news for them right now. I mean, I know that they're hurting. Uh, we're doing everything we can at the department to document the impacts. Unfortunately, we don't have a, a pot of money for economic recovery uh, in the state right now that I'm aware of. And so we're all forced to sit back and wait uh, on this. And, and hopefully Congress will step in and, and provide some disaster assistance. So uh, I just want to encourage everybody in the in the communities to go down to these areas and still spend their money, still go out on those trips, still go fishing, still eat the seafood that we have. Uh, That's the best way I know to to help these communities. And and the department is going to continue to do everything it can to push for disaster assistance and to provide the data necessary to support that. Uh, Just one last thing. You know, I'm doing this show in in Texas today, and I've been here for a couple of days, and I've been asking around and and watching the local news and the coverage, and I see nothing about what's going on in Louisiana. I see a lot of reports about agricultural flooding in other states, but uh, there's just a lack of media coverage, and I don't know how to to change that or turn that around other than offering to give them the information as a story. Well, we've done a lot of interviews for uh, for media. I don't know how wide-ranging those uh, news stories get picked up in the nation. Uh, as I understand, some of the uh, Associated Press stories have been picked up by USA Today and the Washington Post and things like that. But, uh, but you're right. It seems that most of the attention has been paid to Midwestern farming communities, which is certainly valid. They've, they've had tremendous impacts up there as well. But but we've had tremendous impacts here, too, and so I, I certainly hope we get a little bit more attention on the issue. But uh, we're doing as many interviews as, as is coming into us. Agreed. Thank you so much for your time, Patrick. As always, we appreciate it. And please keep us up to date on any new developments. Thank you, Don. All righty. Have a good weekend. You too. All righty. That is Secretary, uh, Assistant Secretary Patrick Banks, Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. Uh, now maybe what I'll do is in next week, if I can find the time, and certainly I will try to make the time for getting in touch with Senator Cassidy, Graves, and Kennedy. Uh, those folks have always been very responsive. Anytime we've asked them to come on for their assistance, and well, hopefully they'll respond in a like manner. All right. When we come back after this, uh, we talk to Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries veterinarian, Dr. Jim LaCour about the situation with bats, asking you to be on the lookout, maybe do a little bat colony monitoring. We'll tell you why, the whole story, when we come back right after this pause. You're listening to More Outdoors, WWL 105.3 FM HD 2. We live stream at DonTheOutdoorsGuide.com and at Radio.com. And this morning we're broadcasting from coastal Texas, where it's going to get pretty hot today. Cherie Dubuque, my daughter's with us. She, been off and on with me over the last 30 years. Back in the old days, we'll be celebrating 30-year anniversary of the program uh, in three weeks. We'll be at uh, Lacombe at Bayou Adventures, and we want to invite you to come by there. We're going to have a little bit of a celebration, reminisce a little bit. We'll have some old pictures. We'll have some old audio clips from some of the 
old timers. And Shree, I guess you're getting to be an old timer now, huh? I wouldn't go quite that far. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I just got a text in with regard to our last guest. We were talking to Patrick Banks, the assistant secretary, about the economic uh, assistance declaration that they are trying to get. And I got a text in that wanted to know if the seafood's safe to eat. He started off by saying, I guess the only thing you can say, the Department of Health has issued an advisory recommending to not harvest or eat seafood from Lake Pontchartrain. They did not mention any other areas like Lake Bourne, Breton Sound, Lake Catherine, Wrigley's. Uh, specifically, it mentions Lake Pontchartrain. That is carrying the brunt of it, the worst of it, in Lake Pontchartrain because the river water is being directly diverted into the lake, and then it works its way actually as far as the Mississippi Gulf Coast, the Gulfport, past Christian, those beaches have been closed there. But a lot of people have been asking, can you eat the seafood? And it's up to the discretion of the person, but... The Department of Health is, is issuing that advisory, I'm sure, mostly out of an abundance of caution. But, you know, who wants to take the risk? How much risk do you want to take? I guess you could say eating any seafood could be a risk. There's always a possibility that there could be uh, some contamination that you're unaware of. So it's left up to the individual to, to make that decision. I don't think anyone would want to make that yeah, people like to be told what to do, and they want reassurances, but uh, it really comes down to the individual decision, and you base that decision on the best information you can get, which is coming from Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, uh, basically backing up what Louisiana Department of Health says. And, of course, they're testing the waters, the seafood daily, and I want to mention again, there's yet to be one piece of seafood that has been discovered that is contaminated, but there are some health uh, issues, negative health impacts from being exposed to the algae in the water. So uh, we'll just try to keep you up to date on it. Hopefully this thing gets closed as they're planning uh, in a couple of weeks. Shut down that Bonnie Carry, uh, continue to have the river water bypass that area and go down through the mouth of the river. And in that form or fashion, depending on the wind directions, the tides, and uh, if we have any tropical surges like storms or depressions and, God forbid, hurricanes, all that can alter the salinity and the habitat and, and change in, uh, the situation as it tries to get back to what is normal. All right. Uh, another topic we want to talk about this morning, and we mentioned this briefly on a show last week, about the, the bat situation in Louisiana. Uh, there are some problems in other parts of the country, not yet here in Louisiana, but in a proactive uh, attempt to, to head that off. The Department of Wildlife and Fisheries is seeking the public help in uh, monitoring bat colonies. I've been asking those of you who are aware of bat colonies, maybe you've got bat houses, uh, to be especially tuned in. And if you've got any questions or comments, we welcome your phone calls at 504-260-6368. Or you can simply send us a text that comes right in here to the broadcast area at 870-870. And uh, this one here, we always need a little humor, huh, Cherie? Tell them what this first text says that comes in. Oh, well, a listener, since we're talking about bats, has actually texted us in and said, I live with an old bat. Does that count? Um, I'm probably certain that Dr. LaCour is going to tell us, no, that's not exactly the ones he's help- <laughs> wanting your help to look for. That's not the old bats we're talking about. And there is an LOL, and we do appreciate the, the humor of our listeners. All right, Dr. Jim LaCour, old buddy of yours. Uh, Jim, how you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you this morning, Don? I'm doing well. Cherie is here with me, and you guys know each other from another life, huh? Yes, Dr. LaCour was my horse vet back in um, Baton Rouge when I lived in Greenwell Springs. It's good to hear from you again, Dr. LaCour. Oh, likewise, likewise, like a family reunion. 
<laughs> well, you know, from horses to bats, you're coming up in the world, I think, Dr. Jim. <laughs> well, I guess. You know, there's a lot of light work and that big light in the sky, you know, the Batman light. So we got those things going for. No, we're there are a uh, lot of people. Uh, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I no, was going to no, say no. a lot of Okay, we'll get this right. Uh, I was going to say a lot of people, when they hear about bats, they go, oh, those nasty things. You know, the bats kind of got a bad rap, I guess, all the way back with snakes from Adam and Eve. Uh, the vampire movies don't do the bats any justice, but bats are really a very interesting and ecological important creature that lives in our environment. Absolutely. We, uh, our bats, we have about 12 species of bats in our state, and all of them are insectivorous. They only eat bugs, and uh, each, each little colony of bats will eat thousands of bugs a night, and some of those bugs are, of course, mosquitoes and other bugs that carry diseases of humans and other animals, such as West Nile virus or equine encephalitis. So the bats do a tremendous amount of good for us. Uh, additionally, it's estimated that, um, you know, across the in, entire continent of North America, the bats save farmers billions with a B uh, dollars worth of money in insect control each year. So they really do a lot for the environment, and they don't hurt a lot. So they, uh, and most people don't even know we have bats. You know, they're out when most of us are sleeping at night doing their jobs, and and uh, they come home and go to sleep before we wake up. So it. Uh, they, they really do us a, a great service that no one gives much appreciation for. Instead, most people think of vampire bats, which we do not have in this state. So that uh, the, the thrill of uh, Hollywood has uh, has made bats kind of a nefarious animal. Now, they're also uh, agriculturally important, not just because of the insects they consume, but also, and I didn't un- I didn't realize this, they actually. Uh, aid in dispersing seeds and, and pollination, similar to what the bees' insects do. Correct. Some species do. Once again, in our state, uh, ours are all insectivorous, so they just eat bugs. But other species across the country do actually, uh, you know, land on plants and, and disperse pollen from from plant to plant. So, uh, in, in our state, we, uh, you know, our guys do a lot of work flying around at night, sucking up the things we hate, which are bugs. <laughs> Good for them. Uh, the problem. Identify the problem that not Louisiana and not Florida, for some strange reason, those two states in the eastern United States are not affected, but many states are undergoing problems with a disease called white-nose syndrome. What is that all about? Sure. Uh, in 2006, white-nose syndrome was discovered up on the east coast, and there was a massive uh, die-off of, of bats up there in caves. Now, some of those caves, just a little bit of background, uh, some states have caves where millions of bats roost each night, and it's colder there. Uh, in Louisiana, we only have a handful of very small caves, so most of our bats either live in man-made structures or in trees, and so uh, and also, it doesn't get as cold here, so you know we don't we don't know, but it's possible that Florida and Louisiana have been spared just due to the temperature and the and the fact that the bats don't congregate as heavily as they do. But white nose syndrome is a disease caused by a cold-loving fungus called Pseudogeomyces destructans, and what this fungus does, it actually makes a colony on the bat's nose when they're hanging up. Remember, the bats up there 
Uh, when it's cold, they'll go in those caves for months at a time and go into a state of torpor or hibernation. And this fungus will grow on their nose and their wings. And what it does, uh, when they go in there to, to hibernate, uh, they have enough fat to make it through the winter. And then they come out in the spring and they go back to doing their bat things. Well, this fungus actually keeps gnawing at them and, and making them uh, uncomfortable. Maybe it itches. We don't know. But they actually come out of their tarpon at least partially, and they start utilizing their fat stores, and they actually uh, die of malnutrition and dehydration. But they've had millions and millions of bats die up there. In fact, some species are threatened, and some caves have been just wiped out of their bat population. So um, a few years ago, the, uh, the federal government developed a program for surveillance all throughout the country for this uh, this disease and the fungus that causes it. Uh, we have had a number of states, 33 states, that have had, had the uh, disease documented. Uh, the closest state is Arkansas to us that has had the disease, but the fungus itself has actually been found in Mississippi and Texas. So, uh, you know, we haven't documented the fungus or the disease in Louisiana yet, but once again, back to our earlier conversation, uh, bats are sort of a ubiquitous species. They do their thing. A lot of people don't notice them or don't even know they're around. So we're very concerned that, you know, we want to make sure we don't have something going on that uh, that one day we wake up and we don't have bats. So uh, we have uh, developed a little citizen science initiative. Um, and in conjunction with some work that we're doing, uh, we have increased our uh, surveillance for bats through the department. Uh, we have a uh, the most extensive road culvert survey in the in North America that, that our folks have done. They have they've checked about 800 culverts uh, throughout the winter time. Bats live in those road culverts, and uh, so we've got a good good estimate of populations in those. And we also document the species of bats in each one of those. But many of these bats live in structures such as abandoned houses, even people's houses they live in. And so uh, and, and some people have bat houses they put up specifically for the bats. So what we're doing with the Citizen Science Initiative is we're just trying to get a handle on the number of colonies and species of bats we have throughout the state, many of which are living on private properties in people's homes or barns or, or, or pump sheds or whatever it may be. And so they can go to our uh, website, which is wlf.louisiana.gov, and there's a, uh, some information on the bats and the program, and there's a form that they just simply download and fill out, and uh, that will go to our biologist who will document those. In some cases, they'll make uh, site visits uh, since this program started. Just a month or so ago, they've already made 100 site visits and uh, going and looking at, at populations, documenting uh, bats where we didn't we didn't know how many were there or what was there. And now we have species and approximate numbers of bats. So it's already been quite a smash hit, this, uh, this program. But we're just trying to get a baseline of locations of bats, populations of bats, how many, what species. So that we can continue to monitor those, and if we do get this fungus and the subsequent disease in the state, we'll know you know where to target. We'll know it, it may not affect all species. There are some species we know it affects, some we think it might affect, and some we know are uh, 
are, um, you know, immune to it apparently. So, uh, but that will give us some idea of where to look. Uh, also, we're doing some sampling in some of these areas for the fungus and swabbing bats, swabbing surfaces for the fungus. And uh, so just by, by, you know, accessing these properties, we'll, we'll get a, increase the, our knowledge tremendously. And, and as you know, uh, well in excess of 80% of Louisiana is privately owned. So that gives us, it just opens a tremendous uh, area in the state for, uh, for us to to get some more data from these animals. You know, you, you mentioned something a moment ago that kind of caught my interest. You, you mentioned culverts were locations where bats hibernate and, 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 I guess, nest or colonize. You're talking about that pipe that's laying in the ditch that a driveway goes across, or you're talking about huge culverts for major drainage and waterways? Uh, I had no idea they actually would live in a culvert. Yeah, most of them are in large culverts, um, such as under the interstate, the large box culverts. But we've found them in in a ton of culverts that were less than four feet in in diameter as well. And uh, if you want a good job, we've uh, we've got some folks working for us that like doing this, and they put on uh, chest waders and get on their hands and knees and fight the spiders and the snakes and alligators and go in these culverts and look for them. So. Uh, <laughs> There you go. That's uh, that'd be a good hobby for you. People with uh, bad backs and arthritis don't do well with that. So just want you to I know that. I might get Cherie to do that. She might look, you know, because you also get to deal with all the the bat droppings. That's pretty extensive. Oh, too. That'd be a absolutely, lot of <laughs> absolutely. So, Jim, stay with me. Yeah, we, we need to take a break here. But when we come back, I want you to expand a little bit about the citizen scientist involvement, uh, reiterate again how they can get involved in it. And, you know, I think this is probably going to create a lot more awareness about just bats in general. People will begin to start looking for them and never thought to even paying the attention to them. They might have thought it was a little bird if they happened to see a glimpse of them. And now they'll realize that we do have a substantial bat population in Louisiana. That's right. Dr. Jim LaCour That's is right. our guest. He's with the Department of Wildlife and fisheries he's their veterinarian if you got a question or comment we welcome it here at 870 or 504-260-6368 we'll be right back after this and if you're just joining us we've been chatting with uh, dr jim lacour louisiana department of wildlife and fisheries veterinarian about the uh, bat situation in louisiana first of all letting us know that we have quite a few we've got 12 different bat species also about a problem that is plaguing bats in other states, not here in Louisiana, but in a proactive attempt uh, to try to head that off. They're reaching out to the citizens to try to get some assistance in monitoring bat colonies here in Louisiana. Uh, Jim, if, if someone knows of a bat colony or they discover one now that they've heard about them, uh, should they go out and catch a few and check for the white nose syndrome? Uh, what's a, is there any danger or risk in handling bats? We've heard stories about rabies carrying and that type of thing. Sure. Uh, we do not encourage people to touch bats in any way. Uh, they can carry rabies, although it's a very, very, very small percentage of the population that, that carries it. But we do see a few each year. Usually those bats are sick down on the ground and that's why we get called so uh, certainly it is not a good idea to handle uh, a bat especially a sick bat and we really don't want people to interfere with the little guys we're just simply asking for uh, the public to make us aware of colonies we really don't need to know if somebody saw a bat flying at night that that's not really what we need but if they have an old barn and they have you know 200 of them flying into that barn 
every morning at daylight, we would like to know about that. And once again, on our website, uh, which is wlf.louisiana.gov, G-O-V, uh, they can download a form and give us a location. And we simply ask for them to sit outside uh, right at dusk in the evening and try to count the bats that are coming out of that structure and then uh, fill out the form, and, and that can be emailed to uh, Nikki Anderson, which is n Anderson at wlf.la.gov. Uh, and that information will all be put into a database. And, and once again, uh, we have a group of uh, technicians that work for us on this project, and depending on uh, what people write as their observation, those technicians may actually go out and try to speciate those bats, look at the area, et cetera, so that we'll get an idea of what species of bat is there, how many are there. Uh, once again, we don't necessarily, if somebody's getting bats inside their house, uh, you know, which happens occasionally, especially if they're living in the attic or something, uh, you know, we don't do the exclusion. If they have a problem with bats, uh, they can get online on the same on our same website, and there's the nuisance wildlife control operators, which can come uh, remove bats from their house. And and that uh, the nuisance wildlife control operators are permanent by our department, but they have their own companies, so they would charge people to remove these bats. It's it's illegal to kill bats, so all these guys can do is exclude the bats and. Um, Typically, we, we don't want them to exclude bats when the bats have uh, babies, which is uh, May through June, because if you exclude the bats when they go out to feed at night, which is what they do, then the babies are in the house and they die, So, uh, which doesn't smell good either. So uh, if they have a problem with bats, they can handle that through the website as well by calling one of these nuisance wildlife control operators. What For this project, what we're really more interested in is bats living in structures or trees or even their bat houses. Some people, once again, build bat houses, and you know they have a population of bats they can watch every evening. They can speciate those bats, perhaps, or we can go do that. But they give us a number and a location on them, which is very important to us. Is there any one part of the state where bats are more prolific than others, where maybe you're getting a lot more of these reports and that finding colonies well uh we have bats all through the state uh north central northwest seems to have quite a few in the winter time uh, southeast has quite a few or we get quite a few reports and that may be simply a, a function of population we have more people in the southeast so that's more eyes and and more more reports so uh, but that is that's really why we're doing this whole thing our culvert survey as predominantly in the, in the winter time, and it, uh, it's statewide. But we have seen um, more of these bats in the in the northwest during that time of year. Some still in the southeast, but more in the northwest. And that may be a migratory thing. Some of these species are migratory, and and they do uh, migrate back and forth uh, across the country. And and that's another reason to be cognizant of. You know this this white nose syndrome or the the fungus that causes it because they may bring it with them from another area. Uh, many of the bats that that we have uh, that cause quote unquote problems for people that get in schools and whatnot. Many of those are are Brazilian free tails and they'll migrate down to Central and South America and back and quite often they'll set up shop on the way back 
for a while and, and you know, you've heard of bats being in schools and whatnot. Oftentimes it's those bats that are just come in and they're just stopping over for a while and fueling up. Jim, we just got a minute or so left. Sure, you got a question for Dr. Jim? Yeah, Dr. Jim, um, living in Texas, you mentioned that there are other several states that have identified the fungus but not the disease. Do you know if uh-huh. those states like Texas have similar programs and are making similar requests, or if someone is listening from one of those states, how might they transfer the same information for the state in which they live if it's not Louisiana? I do not know of the other states' uh, indip- individual programs. Uh, there is a uh, a white nose syndrome dot org you can go to uh, to see a national map that's put up by the folks at the Fish and Wildlife Service, and it has all the locations of the uh, of the positive bats and whether it is white nose syndrome or just the fungus that they found. Uh, and certainly, you can contact each state agency if you're in another state and see if they have any programs like that going on. So we're, uh, right. we're trying to be cutting edge on this and get people involved. We need, we need sets of eyes on the landscape. Well, I'm pulling for the bats. Dr. Jim, thank you so much for being with us as always and giving us a wealth of information about bats, and hopefully uh, people get the message and you start getting some more reports on colony locations and data that's sorely needed. Super. It's great talking to you all. Good to talk to you, Cherie. Thank you. You too. All righty. Have a good weekend, Dr. Jim. All righty. Well, that's about going to wrap it up for us. We got about a minute left to go. Uh, we got, let's see, we got Boudin on the agenda. We got Astros baseball on the agenda. Yeah, looking like a pretty good weekend. Hopefully, you got some plans this weekend. I know a lot of you are going to be fishing. A lot of you headed down to that Golden Meadow Fouchon Tarpon Rodeo. Uh, Tune us in again next week. Three weeks coming up. We'll have the 30th anniversary show. Make plans to visit us over at Bayou Lacombe. We'll be there from 5 to 9. A little four-hour reminisce journey into the past, uh, talking about old days on the radio, the early days, and some of the current days, too. Hope you'll be there with us. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you again next week right back here on WWL 105.3. Remember, you can listen to us at radio.com and dontheoutdoorsguy.com. Happy Fourth of July weekend. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.